On this episode, the complete financial freedom blueprint for service members and veterans. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Cleared it apart friendly lines. Roger, Vic One, Oscar Mike. Hey, buddy, if you're watching this or listening, you probably realize already that this is going to be a solo episode with Dave. And what we're going to talk about today is essentially nine steps that you can take to help expedite your financial freedom and kind of the order and precedence that I would do these. And then at the end, we're going to dig into the VA loan because I'm going to mention it in the nine steps. And I want you to know that I'm going to answer a bunch of the misconceptions and things that you really should know about the VA and what makes it awesome. Um, That being said, let's dig in. All right. So you're a young service member. And the first thing that you should be doing is your TSP, your thrift savings plan. You should be at least, at least putting in contributing 5% so that you get the matching contribution. That is an instant 100% return on your investment. That is a guaranteed bona fide. The moment you put your 5% in, the government matches 5% once you hit your two-year mark. But you should be in the habit anyway, because let's say you're making $1,000 a month and then you take off 100. Now you're making 900 a month. That seems scarce, scarcity. But if you just from day one, you're contributing that 100 bucks a month and you've always had $900 a month, then it doesn't seem weird, right? Like it's not missing. You don't miss it because you didn't have it. If you make 10 grand and then you make five grand, that hurts. But if you make four grand and then you make five grand, that feels great. Same concept here, right? So you should be contributing to your TSP. I would say if, if you're young and single, put in at least 10%, right? I Honestly, I, I would crank it as much as I could in those first few years because every dollar you put in at a young age is worth infinitely more than right now. So like me, 33 years old, if I was to start contributing today, I'd have to put in like $4 to every one of yours to even remotely catch up. That's not exact math. I'm just trying to articulate the point. So the more you can contribute at 18, 19, 20, 21, the better off you'll be in the future. So if you can max it out, do it. You know, whatever you can do to get close and do well, uh, put more in that TSP. Now, as far as funds in the TSP, because I know that's a question I get all the time. If you're in the G fund, like if you're old school and you started out in the G fund, I would say change that. I recommend the book, uh, Simple Path to Wealth by JL Collins, or you can listen to the podcast episode that we did with him, JL Collins. It's from militarymillionaire.com slash JL Collins. And that book talks about index funds and 401ks and IRAs and TSPs in depth, but it's a great book. I recommend you read it and research the funds and make your own decision based on your own risk aversion and you know where you are in your age and towards retirement, and all of that stuff. Or if you're not going to do a bunch of homework and just figure it out for yourself, then I would say put it in the life cycle fund and let the TSP auto adjust. Yes, for everyone who's screaming right now, no, not life cycle, you can do better by contributing into your own asset allocation. But if you're not going to invest the time in researching that, I would say do the life cycle because it's still good returns, much better than the G fund. And it'll automatically change your allocation as you get close to retirement. Because what you don't want is to be super risky as you get close to retirement. You want to be 
riskier and aggressive at an early age. And then as you get older, slowly morph over to more conservative G fund allocations. So TSP, I would go Roth, not traditional. Um, your matching piece is always going to go traditional no matter what you do, but the, you can contribute to the Roth and it'll still go traditional. Um, and the reason I say Roth is that the most service members are probably in a lower tax bracket when they first start investing than they will be later on. So paying those taxes up front and not paying on the gains, plus you're betting that taxes are going to be lower in the future instead of higher. Um, and personally, I would just rather pay them up front, right? So that's the TSP. After you, if you get to where you're maxing the TSP, I would say a Roth IRA. Now, I would at least start a Roth IRA. Perfect. Personally, I like Vanguard. Um, but you know, any Roth IRA, I would start one and put even just a hundred bucks in it because not to overcomplicate this past a certain point, you can withdraw your initial contributions, not the gains without taxes. Uh, if the account has been in existence long enough. So even if you just start it with a hundred bucks that opens that door and that timeline, but I would say like, Hey, if you can max out your TSP, great. And then the next move would be maxing out your Roth IRA, your civilian retirement account. The more you have in that, it just grows. And if you can do that at an early age for a couple of years, you'll have more than a million easy retirement amount of cash sitting around by the time you get closer to retirement age. So number three is budget. This is boring. I get it. I'm not even that good at this. So who am I to talk, you know, pull the log out of my own eye, but budgeting, it's important. So know where your money's going and try to conserve more of it. The more money you keep around, the better off. So, you know, instead of eating out every single day, maybe you eat out once a week, cook from home six days a week. Instead of drinking two days a week, maybe you drink one day a week or you DD one day a week or you just drink more affordable beverages, um, little things. And I think the easiest way to do this for me is to set up like buckets and say, hey, this is my allowance for food. This is my allowance for beer. This is my allowance for uh, having a good time, whatever, um, gifts and stuff. And then I would take that money and I would just save it. And invest it. Save it and invest. And the first thing I would do in that, if you're creating those buckets, is I would set a fund aside for investing. So let's say you're like, hey, I'm going to put whatever's left over at the end of the month into an investing fund. You never will because every month you'll get to the end and you'll like spend it all. But if you immediately take a hundred bucks, throw it into an investing fund, and then you can spend the rest of it, like no matter what, you already put the hundred bucks in the investing fund. That's a better way to do it. I've got some more content on this on like envelope budgeting. Uh, it's a really simple way to do it. There's some other budget styles for sure, but I'm just not that organized or detail oriented. The fourth thing I would do is set up an emergency fund. This should be, you know, at least one month's expenses and then ideally six months expenses. So what you want to do, what you want to build to is having that one month worth of expenses and then you can start investing in other stuff. So that way, like no matter what you're covered, if something goes wrong, you've got a month worth of wiggle room. And then as you're investing more, build it up to like six months. Um, I just, it's hard for me to recommend you do that right away, the six months, because investing at that early age is so much more powerful. And if you have no overhead, no expenses, you live in the barracks or, or whatever, like on base housing, you can be a little bit more risky because you're going to have shelter. You're going to have food. you got all the insurance. Um, you don't have as many risks. So I think you can get by with like a one month emergency fund and then invest a ton. And then over time, slowly build your emergency fund up to that six month window. The fifth thing, and this should be ongoing, but 
education and networking. I would really start prioritizing it once you have your TSP dialed, your Roth, your index, um, your index funds and, uh, or your, yeah. And this is podcasts, books, books on audible, um, free Facebook group, getting around people that are doing the same thing you're doing or have wanted to do the same thing that you're doing and achieved it already. And so, you know, like for me, for us, the War Room Mastermind is a phenomenal spot for this. This is 244 as of right now, service members and vets that are 100% on their goals. They are clear. They are driven. They are, this is what I want to do. They're pushing for that financial freedom and they're doing it in the same ways that you are along the same journey. So they can have those conversations with you from a similar place, right? Like I was there two years ago, or I was there five years ago, or I'm there right now. And they get you, you know, there's educational researches, resources, there's group coaching calls, there are master classes, there's any niche in real estate that you could possibly want to get into as well as non-real estate. You know, we got business guys and girls, we've got uh, stock investors, we've got all kinds of stuff in there. Um, but if you're looking to achieve financial freedom, like get in a group like that, it doesn't have to be that one, but get in a group like that with people who are on the same journey and speak your language. Otherwise you're going to get disheartened by people that are just kind of, they don't get you right. So fit in, get in where you fit in and hop into the group. Number six index funds. So once you've done the Roth and the, uh, or the TSP and the Roth, and then you've got like a little bit of an emergency fund and you started educating yourself, I think index funds is a great next move if you are building up for that house. So index funds, like could be a Vanguard VTSAX is like the total stock market index. That's like the famous one. Um, these are basically just a conglomerate of stocks. So the VTSAX invests in the entire US economy. And if the economy goes up, it goes up. So you're betting on the economy, like the, the entirety of the stock market. And I think that's a good bet long-term. And historically it has been, and you just put the money in there and you just freaking leave it. And then ta-da, and it's a good spot to invest. And it can, it's very passive and it's very simple. And I like simple. I like passive. I like index funds. They're a good spot to be. Now we get into the good stuff. House hacking. This is my single favorite method for building wealth in the military, right? For getting into real estate. House hacking is, and you guys have heard me talk about this. I've got full videos on it. So I'm not going to go super into depth. There's a couple different ways to do it. A lot of different ways to do it. The two most popular and the ones that I would recommend are you find like a duplex, triplex, fourplex. You live in one unit, you rent out the other ones. Or you buy like a five bedroom, four bath house and you rent out bedrooms to other people. So that one works great if you're like a young lieutenant. You hit the fleet, you buy a house, you're a single lieutenant, you get four other single lieutenants to rent with you. You have a really baller house with four or five solid dudes, chicks, whatever. Um, and you can like turn the garage into a gym. You can have, I have a buddy who did this. He turned the garage into the gym. He has a pool hall, like a pool room in the place. They used to throw down. It was like the cool place to hang out. And it was awesome. But at the same exact time, he was living there for free, making a little bit of money. And when he moved out, he's over a thousand dollars a month in his pocket, owning this house that has gone up $200,000, maybe 300 by now in value. So he's gained equity. He's had other people paying down his mortgage and he's been getting extra cash to spend and or invest. That's the key while doing this. I also have friends who've done the fourplex or the duplex and you buy one unit, you live in one unit, you rent the others. If done correctly, you can live for free. You can even have it pay you I have a buddy who bought a fourplex at $1.2 million in San Diego. 
rented out the three units, rented out two of the three bedrooms in his unit, and he was making money on this house. But here's the kicker. Even in those expensive markets, if you can't live for free per se, let's say you were still out $1,000 a month out of your own pocket. You have to pay to live somewhere, right? And so if you're not paying to live somewhere and like you've got to pay to live somewhere. And so if you have a mortgage or you are renting or whatever, that's money you're paying to live there. If you house hack, let's say you're paying $2,000 a month in rent and then you house hack, you still got to pay $1,000 a month. That's a win because A, that entire thousand on a million dollar property is going into the principal. So it's just, you're just putting it into a big savings account, your equity that's going to appreciate over time. And B, you're learning how to landlord. You're learning how to do all these things, but you're also like you're saving $1,000. So yes, you're not living for free, but you're saving $1,000. You would have had to spend to live somewhere anyway. And now you're still living at a steep, steep discount and life is good, right? Like that's a great strategy in an expensive market and affordable market. House hacking is my favorite thing ever. You learn how to be a landlord. You get over your fear of jumping into an investment because buying an investment property is scary and people will talk you out of it. But buying a primary residence is the American dream and people love that. So you can buy a primary residence that's the American dream that fits within the criteria of still helping you learn how to invest, learn how to be a landlord, tax benefits, appreciation, someone else is paying down your mortgage. It's a phenomenal way to get into real estate. I love house hacking. Check out my videos on it. Hit me up if you got questions. I got agents and lenders across the country that can help you do this. Let me know how we can help. This is a great strategy. I've house hacked three times. Number eight, side hustles. And I'm not really going to go too deep into this, but like, hey, if you're doing all these things, and you're like, well, how can I achieve financial freedom even faster? Find some kind of a side hustle. So that could be as easy as like driving for Instacart or Uber. Um, or it could be much more complex. I have an article, I'll link to it down below, that has like 45 or 50 different uh, side hustle ideas. Some great ones in there, check them out. You know, If you've got time and you're trying to achieve this financial freedom thing faster, trading your time for dollars a little bit in the name of investing all that extra capital is a good way to exponentially increase or shorten the timeline that you're able to retire that way. Um, Number nine, the last thing on this list from right here is at this point, like you've got all these things going for you. If you really want to just jump ship, start working on those high income skills. So find something that you enjoy, that you're good at, that people will pay you a good amount of money to do. This could be copywriting, which is like writing emails and writing ads and stuff like that. It could be video editing. It could be media buying, which is like running Facebook ads, running Google ads, running Instagram ads, running YouTube ads. And you can make a ton of money by being the person who's really good at that because you're making other people money. So if you're a really good copywriter, you're going to make the people that are you know, enjoying your copy, like the people that are receiving those emails or, or whatever, like the people you're sending all that stuff for, you're going to make them money because your copywriting is going to bring them more money than they would have on their own without that skill set. If you're a good editor, you help them out. If you're good at media buying, you're bringing business into the business, right? Like people will pay you well if you can make them a better return, right? So some of those high income skills, it's kind of like side hustles, but it's a much longer play and much more lucrative play. Uh, sales is another good one. If you get good at sales, you can do that pretty much anywhere. So that's what I would do. And then I would just kind of rinse and repeat on the house hacking for a ton. And then eventually I would get into 
the last piece here, I guess, would be like once you've got all that groundwork, find something that you enjoy investing in, whether it's index funds or real estate or Bitcoin or whatever it is that you really personally like. Continue the education, continue the networking, really become an expert in that field, double down on it and keep investing in that. All right. So the VA loan. This is the best primary residence mortgage on the market. It is. I will argue on this till I'm blue in the face. People will always find something to complain about. There isn't a better loan product out there. Now, if you're going to complain about the funding fee, like it's peanuts compared to paying MIP mortgage insurance premiums or PMI private mortgage insurance on an FHA or conventional with less than 20% down. If you're going to tell me, well, you just do that and put 20% down. So you don't have the funding fee or the whatever. I will just show you the math on opportunity cost of putting 20% down on a house that you don't have to vice putting zero down, paying the stupid little funding fee, and then putting that 20% in an index fund and just letting it ride. And you will be 10 times better. 100 times better by doing that than putting the 20% down. Now, I know people think, oh, putting 20% down makes it safer. Why? I don't know. It makes it safer for the bank. In theory, it doesn't protect you. If the house drops 10% in value, you're not underwater. But you know what? If you don't sell the house when it's underwater, it doesn't matter. It does not matter at all. Not a huge deal. I would rather have 20% in cash for if some emergency happens in the house, like a new hot water heater, HVAC, whatever, than have. 20% down on the house, no cash, something breaks, I can't afford to fix it, and we're fucked, right? Like, sorry. So that's my take on it. Now, if your agent and or lender is trying to tell you that the VA loan is not competitive, not good in this market, it's not the best mortgage product, run. I'm going to just leave it there. I'm a licensed real estate agent and a licensed NMLS lender. And I'll tell you this. In both of those licensing procedures, they do not tell you shit about the VA loan. They're like, oh, yeah, it's zero down. It's government backed. And the VA backs it. And uh, it's for service members and veterans. Here's who qualifies. It doesn't tell lenders how to do the loan. And it doesn't tell agents what they should and shouldn't know about the loan. The only agents and lenders that really understand the VA loan are people who took it upon themselves to go out of their way and learn. They read the guidelines. They became the VA loan expert. It's usually not your, um, oh, what are they called? The MRP, the military relocation specialist, MRS, whatever, military relocation professional. It's usually not those people. A lot of times those people suck and they get that criteria, which is just like a click, 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 click class because they're like, oh, this will help me get hold of these people. Um, just having that designation as an agent doesn't actually mean you know anything about being a VA lender or, or, or VA loans or working with veterans. It's probably not Veterans United or Navy Federal or USAA or any of these like big box banks because while they might target service members and vets, they're still just a lender that got their license dropped in. Their problem is that they have too many fees and too many – there's just too much stuff baked into the process at those big banks. If you want the best price, go broker. If you want the best – like speed and whatever, you got to find like a super hyper niche somebody who went way out of their way to learn everything they could about the VA loan and is an expert on their own right. If you find one of those people, which by the way, I'll drop a link down below. I have a vast network of people that I've vetted on both the real estate agent and real estate lender side nationwide. 
happy to help make that introduction for you so that you find someone who actually knows what they're doing rather than somebody who pretends they know what they're doing. Uh, not a week goes by where I don't find some story about somebody getting hosed on the VA loan, hosed on real estate. Someone just hit me up yesterday and they were like, hey, my lender's telling me this. I'm like, that's wrong. Well, he said he could do this. That's also wrong. Like, well, he said this. Yes, but he's misunderstanding the stipulations required in order for that to happen. So that is a thing, but he's using it wrong and it's not going to work. Um, and I was like, dude, don't use that lender. Please use this lender. Um, and they're going to be way better off. So if your agent or lender is telling you it's not competitive or not to use it or to put money down to make it more competitive or any of this other stuff, run. Also, if a lender tells you you can't do that with a VA loan, your first question should be, where does it say that in the guidelines? Because most of the time, the VA doesn't actually have guidelines about most of the stuff. They're very, very, very relaxed. So most of the time that a lender is telling you that, it's what's called a lender overlay, meaning that the bank is not willing to do that. So prime example, hey, sorry, we can't lend to you because you have a 620 credit score and the VA loan minimum is 640. Wrong. The VA doesn't have a minimum credit score requirement. And I've seen people get you know, 550 560, I think even like 540 approved for a loan. But that bank doesn't want to lend to anybody under a 620. That is a lender overlay. So they are saying, hey, the VA says 550 is good, but we're not going to take anyone under 620, right? So go find a different lender. Like That's basically the way the game is played. So if somebody's telling you it's not competitive, what that usually means is they don't understand it. And rather than telling you, hey, I'm not really good with the VA loan, you should go talk to this agent or you should go talk to this lender, they're not going to do that because then they lose commissions. They've commissionized, they want your money, and they're going to be like, ooh, you know what? The VA loan sucks. Not, I don't understand the VA loan because why would they tell you that? They're going to say the VA loan sucks. Use this other product, which I just happen to understand well enough to actually be able to help you so that you can get me my commission. That's what's really going on, right? So again, run. And I'm happy to make those intros down below, or you can just click on the website, recommended agents, lenders, whatever. Um, all right. So we covered those things. A couple of big misconceptions. You can only use the VA loan once. Wrong. You can use it multiple times. Now, the answer to this is depends on your entitlement. So if you buy a $200,000 house and then you move somewhere where the limit is a million, then you could buy an $800,000 house. If you go over that total entitlement for that zip code, then you have to pay 25% of the payment uh, down. So like, let's say you have 800,000 left in entitlement. You buy a $900,000 house. You would have to pay 25% of that last hundred, which is still way cheaper than any other loan. And if you buy that $800,000 house, you have 800,000 left on entitlement. It would be zero down still. Now on your first use, there's no limit. So your first usage of VA loan there's not a limit at all other than like your debt to income, your credit, your income and all that stuff, like your actual qualification. So whatever you qualify for, you can buy. I've seen someone buy a two and a half million dollar house, zero down with the VA loan. In fact, he called me to say thanks because I saved him the down payment. He was going to put 20% down and he read one of my articles and was like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize they went away with the limit. That's awesome. I don't have to put any money down. Saved him a half million dollars. So pretty sweet. Um, VA loan is super competitive. No limit. Um, but yeah, you can use it multiple times. I know someone who's had four different VA loans out at the same time. It really depends on the purchase price. So what I always tell people is like after your first one, if you've got questions, just go to from military to millionaire.com slash lender dash questions. Or again, 
click on the link um, that I'll drop for the recommended agents or whatever, and just go to the, like, there's a, a section that we have for answering lender, like having lenders answer your questions. And you can just ask the question there, they'll look it up and they'll get back to you because that's gonna be your better bet. Every single scenario after you buy that first house is different. There's so many if this, then that's that I can't give you a blanket answer. Like, yes, you can use the VA loan more than once. Are you able to do it zero down? I don't know. Is it going to be easy for you? I don't know. There's so many different variables for that, that you need to talk to a lender about your specific situation before you go further on. Uh, oh, that's what I was going to say. Um, when you're qualifying for this like no limit thing, um, the VA loan allows you to use up to 75% of the projected rents of other units. So if you buy a single family to house hack bedrooms, you can't count that rent. But if you buy a fourplex, the three units you're not living in, you can count their current rent or the market rent if they're vacant, what they should rent for and how much they'll bring in, 75% of that. So if each room rents for $2,000, so you got $6,000 coming in from those three units in the fourplex, then 75% of that, $4,500 a month, would count towards your income on the debt-to-income side. So you can qualify for a larger mortgage payment with a multifamily than you can a single family, right? Or a larger mortgage payment, larger larger mortgage amount. And a lot of lenders will tell you no, like you have to have landlord experience. You have to have a reasonable likelihood of success as a landlord. You know, if, it, if they're telling you that you have to have two years of experience as a landlord yourself, that's a lender overlay. You don't. And if they really insist on that, just say, hey, I'm going to hire a property manager. They have more than two years experience. That work. Most banks will say yes. Uh, again, if the lender is telling you that they're not going to count your rental income, 75% of it, towards your debt to income for your purchasing power, then find another lender if they're not going to work with you with the property manager thing. Right. So you use multiple times. There's no limit on your first use. Now, as far as the no limit thing, you can restore that benefit. So you use it one time. If you sell that house, you can use it no limit again. You can do that an infinite amount of times. You can buy a house, sell a house, have no limit on the next one as many times as you want. However, if you don't sell the house, if you refinance it into a conventional or you quote sell it to your LLC which does not count don't play that game the VA is hunting those people down but if you don't sell the house you refinance it or you move it into an LLC you're still the guarantor on that VA loan and so you can do a one time one time that means once one time restoration of that benefit until you sell all of them so if let's say you have a house then you buy another house, both on the VA loan. And the first one, you refinance into a conventional loan. You did a one-time restoration of benefit, and then you bought another one with no limit, right? If you ever wanted to do the no limit thing again on a VA loan, you would have to sell both houses. Free and clear, you're not the owner. You're not the guarantor. The house is gone. Um, that's how that works. So one-time restoration, as long as you still own houses, many times as you want, as long as you sell them, Right. Hope that makes sense. VA loan is the best rates. And the reason for this is what's called loan level pricing adjustments. So if you have an 800 credit score, most banks at 740, 680 and 620 will adjust your what your rate is. So at 740 or 739, your rate will be higher than at 741, so on and so forth. The VA doesn't have their first adjustment until 640. So while other loans might have adjusted three times, the VA one time. So you generally get a better rate as long as you're under that first bracket, if you're in like the 800s, so whatever, who cares? There's no debt to income requirement. There's no credit score requirement. There's a lot of these things with the VA loan 
So you can go, I've seen as high as like in the seventies for debt to income ratio, which gives you a much more purchasing power. But again, I wouldn't do that unless it's like a property that's going to bring you cash, you know, like a house hack where you're going to have other people paying down your mortgage and stuff like that. And the VA loan can be assumed and it can be assumed by non-veterans. The only downside, the main downside is that if you have a non-veteran assume a VA loan, then the person selling the house can't regain their entitlement. So if you're going to have someone assume your mortgage, Make sure they're eligible for the VA loan and make sure that the assignment, like the entitlement goes to them. Transfer of entitlement, I think is what it's called. It's got to be done in the process. Um, you don't want to get stuck without entitlement, you know, because otherwise until they decide to sell that house, you're stuck. And that could be a long time. So, all right. Hope that helped. This was a fairly short episode compared to some of our other ones. And it just went through, you know, the steps. So again, that's like TSP, Roth IRA budget, emergency fund, education and networking, index funds, house hacking, side hustles, high income skills, invest in whatever you find to be your passion or your favorite form of investment. Some of the things that I think can really supercharge this, again, I'm going to plug the war room, is getting around people that are doing the same things and or have already achieved what you want to achieve. You get around those people, you can crush it, right? And if you're still listening to this, uh, until we hit 300 members, or when we hit 300 members in the war room, I'm going to double the price. So it's currently $1,000 a year or $150 a month. It's about to go up to $2,000 a year or $250 a month once we hit 300 members. So we got 56, 55 more members. And then boom, that'll be it. Uh, and we've had 11 members joining the last 10 days. So it won't be that much longer. Uh, I've got a webinar in like two weeks, so I'll drop a link down below to that webinar. And uh, if you don't see it, just shoot me a message on Instagram at From Military to Millionaire, and I will send it to you. And you should be on the webinar, learn about it. We'll give you some information, show you what we're all about. And, uh, you know, in four years, not a single person's asked for the 30-day money-back guarantee. So uh, the value's there. It's way there. So that being said, War Room. Great resource, other mastermind groups, local networking, local investor communities, getting around other people who are doing what you're doing. Phenomenal. Books, of course. Podcasts, of course. YouTube University, of course. Self-education is huge, and I think you can be very successful doing it. A little bit of grind, a little bit of structure, a little bit of understanding how to schedule your day. And if you're not doing so already, maybe check out the Military Millionaire Planner. Because I have journaled and planned for years, and I took the best components of three different journals and combined them all into one, as well as a bunch of other random stuff that I added in there from coaching and whatever. And it is a phenomenal way to start your day. Journaling about your goals, writing out what you're going to do, uh, gratitudes and affirmations and all the good stuff, habit trackers and uh, the three P's exercise, which helps you figure out what your unique zone of genius, like unique selling proposition, like what your skill is that nobody else has and some other cool stuff. Um, and it's just a, a daily, you know, journal for 90 days planner. And it is really, really, really beneficial. Like it's one of those things where when I'm not doing it, I can tell the day is just completely thrown off. So that's my thoughts. I hope this helped. Let me know if you guys, uh, you know, in the comments or, or in the reviews or whatever. Oh, if, yeah, if you haven't reviewed the show yet, uh, that would mean a lot to me. Drop a you know nice little review on Apple or wherever your favorite platform is. But, um, let me know what you think. I, I don't do a ton of solo episodes. So if if you want to hit me up and let me know if you like this episode, I'd love to hear it. Um, 
you know, and, and maybe we do some more solo episodes with some educational stuff. And if you want like specific things that you would like me to talk through on this, shoot me some ideas. It's kind of a new idea and uh, we're testing it out. And uh, I'm actually live in case you can't tell them the, if you're watching the video, I'm in a hotel room at the bigger pockets conference right now. And so about to go network and educate. Have a great day.